This summer we've been walking through a, an interesting journey. We've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about solitude. We've talked about rest. We've talked about justice. We're going to continue that walk with something called play. Why is it important for us to even talk about play? What would we even be comfortable in when it comes to defining our own definition of play in our lives? Today, you're going to see me in a little different light. I'll be a little more professor than I am pastoral. We're going to share some resources. This is something that I've studied over the last few years. It's something that I talk to our team at camp every year about is how do we actually create a theology of play? How do we actually bring more play into our lives? So let's first define that word, because I know when we suddenly use the word theology, everybody's head goes, oh no, what's going to happen? Theology is this, and I throw the definition for you up on the screen. The study of religious faith, that makes sense, we've heard that before. But then we usually stop it there, and there's another word in there, practice, and especially the study of God in relation to himself and the study of God in relation to the world. So, when we talk about that fancy word, different practices that we engage with, it actually forms our theology. So practice actually starts to form our theology. Today, we're going to wrestle through and try to understand our theological understanding of play. I'm going to keep saying this. Why should we play? Because you see, for me, and you might have been in the same camp, having fun or play is not spiritual. So today, I'm going to hope to change that for you. We're going to keep coming back to this question. Why is a theology of play important in our discipleship? You would have heard that word before. Or in our spiritual formation. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 150. David had a great understanding of, of play, and he had a great exuberance in his understanding of God. So Psalm 150, it'll be on your screen. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his house, his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Okay, that's a great kind of background for us. Verse 3, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals, like we didn't have enough cymbals already. Let everything that has praise, has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, as you read that, you would quickly understand that our life is not to be lived in a stationary, solemn, quiet process. David's not saying, when you enter into the house of the Lord, please sit quietly, don't say anything. As you walk out, don't talk to anyone until you get to the parking lot. 
Play is important because play is something that you and I were created to do. Whenever the scriptures mention play, they talk about these things that we as Baptists struggle with. Dance, creativity, and celebration. Now, if we have kids, you know this. Play is something that, that, we, that we see children naturally engage in. Mark chapter 10 says this, and then I'm going to read the similar story from Luke 18. So Mark chapter 10, just listen to these words. Let the children come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Don't stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And Jesus took them up in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, listen to that same story from Luke chapter 18, a different perspective, the doctor giving us a different perspective. I'm going to read it from a different translation, Luke chapter 18, you'll see it on your screen. People brought babies to Jesus, hoping that Jesus might touch them. When the disciples saw it, when Matt saw it, they shooed them off. Jesus calls the children back. Let the little children, these children, let them be alone. Don't get between them and me. These children are the kingdoms, our gods, our Jesus's pride and joy. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Maybe today, it'll just take you back to those days of playing road hockey as a kid, where that was the most important thing that you did all day. Children, driven by wild curiosity and endless amounts of energy, naturally are inclined to play. They're naturally inclined to pursue fun. They entertain themselves, and they enjoy simple discoveries. It's hard for me not to believe that Jesus didn't have enormous joy or the wonder of a child in his mind when he declared that they had discovered children, a posture toward life, that the kingdom of God that adults must embrace. You see, in, in Zechariah, the prophet laid out a vision of the end times in, in Zechariah chapter 8. And in it, he describes this about the end times. Verse 5, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Do you see it? There are many childish things that you and I need to put aside when we grow up. But playing isn't one of them. The no fun, no play mindset prior to, uh, makes spiritual things a very short list as the serious things that we should always get our attention. And everything else, at best, is necessary and tolerated. You know, those non-spiritual things like sleeping and eating. And those non-spiritual activities are frivolous. And maybe they're even sinful. Like exercising or playing or having fun. Robert Johnson wrote a book. It's a great book. The Christian at Play. 
And he quoted Augustine to make the case that the issue of play has been a controversy for a long time. And here's what Augustine said. From the time of Augustine down to the present era, Christians have always been, and you know this word, suspicious of play. Augustine's conversion to Christianity meant a conversion from a life of play. To him, Augustine, even eating was sinful if it was done in a spirit of pleasure. So this way of thinking was fueled in the modern period by the Protestant work ethic. All work and no play was one of the evidence that God had truly redeemed a person. An adult, you and me, who still finds time to maintain a rhythm of play, has discovered an important aspect of living. See, the broader culture has many stereotypes of you and me as Christians. And I would say many of them are merited. One of those stereotypes is we don't have any fun. A 19th century philosopher said this, and this will ring true to many of you. No one in my parents' church ever had fun. A theologian by the name of Robert Hodgkin said this, Christians ought to be celebrating constantly. We should be preoccupied with parties, with banquets, with feasts. We ought to give ourselves over to enormous amounts of joy because our belief is in the resurrection. We ought to attract people to our faith quite literally by the fun there is in being a Christian. The simplicity of playing is enough. It's spiritual. Playing should be considered as an important aspect of what it means to live life to the full, made possible by Jesus. Uh, Menchkin often quipped that Puritans, he was referring to serious Christians, serious-minded Christians, are people who have a deep, foreboding fear that someday, somewhere, somebody might have a good time. Philosopher Nietzsche once observed that Christians have no joy. He said this, and this is powerful, should he ever come to believe in God, he would only believe in a God who danced. Sadly, he was never able to locate such a God. Have you missed that God? It seems, unfortunately, as if serious saints are straight-laced, sober, sad, cold, maybe even a few of us frozen. Play, defined quite broadly as legitimate and moral activity for the enjoyment and recreation, including sports, is incredibly important for us to understand the image of God. It often seems that you and me have no place for play. We have no place for joy. It seems that, that play is out of bounds for us as believers. In 1979, a man by the name of Tim Hansel wrote a Christian book with the great subject, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. He talked about recapturing all the wonder, all the joy, all the rest, all the freedom that's found in Christ. 
for me, I just kept asking myself, are we still stuck in the 1970s? You know, those historic attitudes of, subis- of suspicion about play are unsupported. If we look at human nature, we suddenly dist- we understand that we have this huge framework of a robust theology. Or we need to work on what's our philosophy of play. I've said this already today. The universal fact is that children are natural-born players. But somehow we lose that as adults. Okay, well, let's move away from humans for a second. Animals tell us something about the playfulness of God. If the heavens tell of the glory of God and show forth his handiwork, that's Psalm 19, then also the merry collection of animals and the play of people too. Why do you go to the zoo? To watch the animals play. Psalm 104 says this. David penned these words. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea. It's vast and spacious. It's teeming with creatures beyond number. Living things, both large and small. The ships go there and fro. And uh, Levi, Ethan, the sea creatures, which you form to what? Is that word? Frolic. Frolic doesn't seem to be too stoic. The Bible supports the argument about play as well. Scriptural themes of the Sabbath, of feasting, of festival, of dance, and the lifestyle of Jesus lay a foundation that form a solid theology of play. You see, the Sabbath, the rest, grounds the notion that rest and leisure are a part of God's design. Sabbath sets a limit to work and grants us not only the opportunity, but the obligation to rest. The Sabbath means that we can alternate our mastery of the world through work with a thankful enjoyment of the world as we experience the beauty in rest, worship, and godly leisure. The cycle of of six days of work plus one day of rest in the Old Testament, and that's continued in the New Testament, is to be remembered and reenacted by the people of God each week. The very rhythm of everyday life is meant to be a liturgical practice in which you and I are called to adopt a God-ordained and graciously upheld rhythm of work and rest and play. Insofar as the Sabbath limits our work and opens up a window for rest, this biblical theme creates space in our lives for play and leisure in which we enjoy the works of God and the life that he's given to us. The biblical conceptions of food and festival do the same. Food and festival have several traits in common. Both change the regular routine of our life. Both involve joy and fun. 
the connection between those two things leads us to the conclusion that food and festival form our biblical perspective which support a theology of play. All right, Baptists, here we go. Perhaps the clearest support for a biblical theology of play comes from the scriptural teaching on the topic of dance as one of the most purest forms of play. Are you ready? Here we go. Interestingly enough, the Hebrew word for dance is also the same Hebrew word for play, which means to amuse, to act, to perform. And we can't believe we're saying this in church, to mess around. The wisdom of the writer in Ecclesiastes could not be clearer in his affirmation of this activity when he writes in chapter 3, and we've heard this verse a hundred times, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. There's a time to play. There is Jesus himself. Jesus, the man of sorrows, the one who experienced great grief. Did he ever laugh or play? The answer has to be absolutely. When we add to the evidence from Jesus' friendship, I mean, he was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners in Luke 7. Jesus did go to lots of celebrations and dinner parties. Luke 7, 34 says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. His attendance at a festival that was a wedding where he turned the water into wine in John chapter 2. We can't but help get a fresh impression of the festive nature and delightful personality of Jesus. So, can I recognize and rejoice in the fact that I, as God's image, created in God's image, have been made to play? He, the God of creation, the God of redemption, is a God of play. If God is a God of play, and if human play is indeed rooted in divine play, then you and I ought to develop our abilities at play and work to cultivate a spirit of playfulness. This is your evangelism gift and our responsibility to an often serious world. It's our way to give hope to a hopeless world. Whatever forms of play you may pursue, it might be music, reading, sports, sports, furniture restoration, gardening, drag racing, I don't care. Do it heartedly unto the Lord. Reflect that aspect of his divine nature. Your life will be an answer to Menchkin's stereotypical Puritan who worried about people having too much fun. Your example will testify to Nietzsche that there is a world where God is a God who dances. One way that a faith of a child reveals to us the heart of God is when they play. It is through the 
childlike heart of play that we're reminded that Jesus welcomed and embraced the children among them. When I'm with children in my life, I'm challenged to let go of my adult lens and see the world like they do. To practice curiosity. To let go of perfection. To laugh, to move, to have fun. Children, show me the heart of God through simply being who God created them to be. Curious, heart wide open, and playful. Faith and spirituality don't have to be serious work. God created us as humans with a full range of feelings and emotions. And guess what? One of those is joy. You and I actually access God in a unique way when we play. The experience that we're going to walk through this week is to help you find joy and praise God who smiles on you. Margaret Cooling said this, Too often in the church, we see learning as just putting more facts into our heads. When what we really need to help is help to find meaning in the Bible and help to discover new ways of seeing God in the world and letting them change our lives. Play is essential for many of us to learn about God. It's essential for many of us to learn about His world. It's essential for us to discover how to be fully human. This is very clear throughout the ministry of Jesus. Jesus used stories, he used illustrations, he used rituals, he used symbols as he shared the good news of God's kingdom. So what's the action step this week? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to play again. I want you to do one playful thing for five minutes today. And then I want you to do one for the rest of the week for five minutes. Swing in a swing, slide down a slide, skip, hop on one foot, do some jumping jacks, color in a coloring book, or just color something for fun. Go outside, shoot hoops again, dribble a basketball. Go outside, lie down in the grass, and watch the clouds go by. If you and I choose to play. The world will look at Christians and go, that's a group of people that actually understand how to live in this world. Let's pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We're excited that you created us as very unique beings, different than the animals. God, may we learn how to play again. May we take off the lens of seriousness when we come into this relationship with you. May we come in like children who just wanted to sit in your lap. May we discover our theology of play which then guides our practice for living in this world. We love and adore you. Bring us back next week ready to hear something 
about who you are and what you're calling us to. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen.